0: So tonight we're gonna be in 2 Chronicles 17 to 20, dipping down into those passages. Um, So if you have your Bibles, you might wanna have uh, that open so you can look down at what we're looking at. But um, in summing up Jehoshaphat's life, I think two words came to mind for me, and that is courage on the one hand, and yet compromise on the other. Um, Courage and compromise. We're going to see in 2 Chronicles 17 and also in chapter 19 that Jehoshaphat showed a courageous heart for Yahweh's ways. It took courage. It takes courage to knock down things that don't belong in order to build things that do. And he showed that kind of courage and that kind of leadership. At the same time, Jehoshaphat was a human being, he had flaws, and the Scripture is honest with us about them. He had compromising alliances with the Yahweh haters. There were King Ahab and his family in particular. that was in the northern tribes of Israel. Uh, Jehoshaphat, for some reason, felt compelled to try to keep a connection there, and it ended up causing a lot of trouble in his family in the years to come. We see that in Second Chronicles 18. And then I I wanted to end with this just amazing passage in 2 Chronicles 20 that shows his complete reliance on Yahweh in crisis. had a crisis that came into his life that was really bigger than anything he could manage. And he and um, Judah went to the Lord and sought his face, and the Lord gave them a mighty victory. So, Jehoshaphat, characterized by courage, characterized by compromise, And and there's a lot we're going to learn. Normally in the evening, I don't have a lot of application questions, uh, just because we were covering so much. Tonight, there's going to be a lot of application questions. So, uh, hold on to your hats. All right. Courageous heart for Yahweh's ways. We see this introduction to Jehoshaphat in 2 Chronicles 17. By the way, Jehoshaphat's name means uh, Yahweh uh, has judged, or Yahweh is the judge. And so, you They have this idea of of God being king of my life, God being the one that's gonna call and and, um, respond to how I'm living. So Jehoshaphat, his son, this is the son of Asa, reigned in his place and strengthened himself against Israel. He placed forces in all the uh, fortified cities of Judah and set garrisons in the land of Judah in the city of Ephraim that Asa, his father, had captured. The Lord was with Jehoshaphat because he walked in the earlier ways of his father David. He did not seek the Baals. The, the name Baal means Lord, and a lot of these cities would have idols that they would call the Lord of this or that or the other. Baal uh, was viewed as the storm god or the fertility god. He's the one that makes the crops grow. He's the one that gives you power. Um, and so a lot of these communities... Uh, worshiped the false god of Baal um, and thought that somehow that helped them be more successful and more wealthy um, in a society that was largely agricultural. But instead of seeking the Baals, he sought the God of his father and walked in his commandments and not according to the practices of Israel. Therefore, the Lord established the kingdom in his hand, and all Judah brought tribute to Jehoshaphat, and he had great riches and honor." His heart was courageous in the ways of the Lord. And furthermore, he took the high places and Asherim out of Judah. Asherim were were like totem poles that were used in the worship of these false idols, Baal and the female consort, uh, Ashtaroth. So when you look at this passage and you're trying to get a read on who's Jehoshaphat and, and why was his life the way that it was, the very first thing that you notice is that the Lord was with him. And this is one of the phrases that you see show up in the Old Testament multiple times. Uh, People that God has used, the Lord was with them. You think about it, If you're living your life and you know that the Lord is with you in what you do. It it gives you a level of courage, uh, a way of, of tackling life that you wouldn't have otherwise. And we see that the Lord established the kingdom in his hand. But we also see that the Lord was rewarding Jehoshaphat for walking in the earlier ways of his father, David, for seeking the God of his father, not the Baals, for walking in God's commandments, not according to the practices of Israel, and, and that his heart was courageous in the ways of the Lord. And that included the demolition, taking down the high places and the ashram out of Judah. And, and beyond this, as we start reading about Jehoshaphat, we learn that he not only was doing the right thing himself, from the heart and from the way that he lived life, but he also tried to extend that among all the people of Judah. He showed pastoral concern for the entire nation. And since he was king, he had the leverage to actually send officials and Levites to teach God's law to the people. What what Jehoshaphat was doing was in line with what God had revealed about himself in his word. And so, Jehoshaphat then says, okay, let's let the Word of God get to as many people as possible. We read in 2 Chronicles 17, uh, 7 through 9, In the third year of his reign, he sent his officials, Ben-Hael, Obadiah, Zechariah, Nath- Nath- Nathanael, uh, Micaiah, to teach in the cities of Judah. And with them, we're told that he sent Levites as well. And with the Levites, he sent priests uh, in order to teach in these cities of Judah. And verse 9 tells us, And they taught in Judah, having the book of the law of the Lord with them. And they went about through all the cities of Judah and taught among the people. We learn in chapter 19 that he also appointed judges who would make righteous judgments in the fear of Yahweh. Think about what happens if you've got just laws. You've got laws that are righteous, but you've got judges that don't enforce them or judges that take bribes. Um, we see this in our own land that you can, have, um, you can have people that are wicked that are the executive branch. You can have people that are wicked that are in the legislative branch. You can have people that are wicked that are in the judge. Branch. You know, you can, you can have those that are teaching people that are teaching them the wrong thing. What Jehoshaphat tried to do is to take the revival that was in his own heart and to actually spread that throughout the whole nation. So he pointed these judges and we read about it in Second Chronicles 19. Jehoshaphat lived in Jeru- at Jerusalem, and he went out again among the people. He seemed to have a real heart for people from Beersheba to the hill country of Ephraim, so from the south all the way to the north, and brought them back to the Lord, the God of their fathers. Well, how did, how did he, you know, he's one man. How did he get among all these people? Well, he appointed judges in the land and all the fortified cities of Judah, city by city, And said to the judges, Consider what you do, for you judge not for man, but for the Lord. He is with you in giving judgment. Now then, let the fear of the Lord be upon you. Be careful what you do, for there's no injustice of the Lord our God, or partiality, or taking bribes. So, what Jehoshaphat is doing is making sure he's multiplying testimony to the Lord. He's using his influence to influence others who can influence others. And God calls us to do the same kind of thing. We read further in in 8 through 11 that he appointed certain Levites and priests and heads of families in Israel to give judgment for the Lord and to decide disputed cases. Um, And he, he keeps warning them about doing this in the fear of the Lord and in faithfulness and with their whole heart. And whenever cases come to them, um, he calls for these judges to warn people according to God's law so that they don't incur guilt and so that wrath doesn't come upon them from the Lord. And, and he, he sums up all of this with deal courageously and may the Lord be with the upright. So he uses his influence to actually spread justice that's in line with God's word throughout the land. And it's fitting with his name, Jehoshaphat, Yahweh's judge. Um, Think about what Jehoshaphat does now. He followed David's righteous example, as did his father Asa. So David would have been his great-great-grandfather. Asa was his father. He sought the Lord. He lived daily life in obedience to the Lord. He was courageous in the ways of Yahweh. He, he destroyed what was used in idolatry, and he established righteous teachers and judges in the land. I mean, this, this guy did a lot. And he, and he got going at it very early on in his reign. He didn't wait a long time to get it going. And, you know, as I thought about Jehoshaphat, and I thought about our trying to serve the Lord in a similar fashion, in our times, you know, I don't think we have any kings among us, except being kings and priests in the in the uh, kingdom of Jesus. But in, in terms of this level of influence, we don't have it. But we have some influence. If you're a parent, if you're a student, if you have friends, you have influence. So let me let me ask some questions that that you could take with you. And as I thought about these. I, I think I'm going to have to think about these all week long. So these are some questions for you to think about all week long. What godly examples has God given you to imitate? It might be a dad or a mom. It might be a granddad, a grandmom. It, it, maybe there's nobody in your family that actually serves the Lord, but you know somebody that does. It might be a friend. It might be a coworker. worker um, It might be somebody you've read about. What godly examples do you have that show you kind of in practical ways, this is what it looks like when you're, when you're serving God. And then second, how are you seeking God in your life? Because this, this really starts at the heart. What do you want? What do you actually desire out of life? Do you, among your desires is your chief desire, God himself? What, what are you doing to express that desire for God? How does your daily life show obedience to God's commands? it's really easy to disconnect. You know, we say, okay, we go to church on Sunday, We go to Sunday school, we learn all this stuff. And then Monday morning rolls around and it's all about breakfast, school, work, get the job done, get the punch list done, you know, get through the day so that I can get back to eating and get back to bed. Well, if that's all life is about. Like, you know, it's not very human. Okay. You, You want it to have some kind of purpose. So How are you showing obedience to God's command? Think about it, going through your day, going like, God, what would God want me to do? What has God commanded me to do? And and look, you can be four years old and there are things that God has made very clear he wants you to do, right? What are those things? Like, you, you know God doesn't want you to lie. You know God doesn't want you to steal. You know God wants you to obey your parents. We know God wants you to be in his word. We know God wants you to be there's all kinds of things that God has commanded that's for your good and for the good of others, as well as to his honor. And then how are you showing courage to walk in God's ways? You know, as you go along, I think there's, there's more and more peer pressure not to walk in God's ways. You know, you hit, you hit the, the infamous teen years, and you know hopefully you can find some some fellow students that actually love god with their whole heart but even if you're in a christian school there's a lot of kids that don't they're like they look at you weird like what you you actually read your bible every day really like you you oh you're 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 such a prude you're you're so so, you know you, you need to live a little bit you need to experiment a little bit well how are you showing courage to walk in god's way what, what would happen if you flipped the script? What if, what if you started exerting peer pressure on your friends to actually follow after the Lord? Or, you know, young couples that are like, it's all about uh, how, how can we save enough money to buy a house? You know, how can we get a better car? When can we start our family? Uh, how can I build my career? Well, how about changing the conversation to, hey, how's, how's it going? with you and God, like what, what's happening in your life with him and who have you shared the gospel with recently and who are you praying for and who are you helping, okay? How can you show courage? What are ways that you are getting rid of whatever turns your heart from God? As far as I know, there's not a local um, temple to Baal or Astaroth in our community, at least not that, not that advertises itself as that. But there are plenty of things available that would draw your heart and the heart of other people away from God. And and some of those things are appealing. Some of those things can find root in your heart. What are you doing to get rid of whatever is turning your heart from God? And in what ways are you bringing the influence of God's word into the lives of others? Like, think about, okay, if God uses his word to help you as you're reading or as you're listening, is there a way that you could take what you've gained and pass it on to someone else? Like, wouldn't it be cool? Let's say you're in ninth grade or 10th grade. Wouldn't it be cool if you had a, 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 a texting group where you actually shared what you read in Proverbs today that was helpful to you? Um, what, what if you were to share with a friend that you know doesn't know Jesus something about what it's like to serve Jesus and, what, and who Jesus is. I mean, where are those opportunities and how can you bring, you know, as many, as, as many professing believers as we have in Greenville, it almost seems like there shouldn't be one person in our whole community who hasn't heard about Jesus. I mean, there are so many of us, okay? But a lot of times, we just assume somebody else is going to do that. Well, how can you use your connections to actually spread the word? Well, there's another side to, to Jehoshaphat that's actually troubling, and that is his compromising alliances with those who hated Yahweh, who hated the Lord. You know, the Bible, and, and this is what I love about God's word, is it's frank and it's honest with us and it's record of even good leaders. God would summarize the life of Jehoshaphat as that he was a good and he was a righteous man. But, but God is still going to deal with where he did what was wrong. God praises the good, but he confronts the evil. And, and it seemed like Jehoshaphat's blind spot was in the connections that he made. And we ought to be making connections, that's for sure. But sometimes the connections we make are harmful connections, and that is certainly the case with Jehoshaphat. The first compromising alliance he made was uh, in marriage, and probably for political reasons, he married Athaliah, the daughter of Ahab, to his son, Jehoram. In 2 Chronicles 18.1, now Jehoshaphat had great riches and honor, and I wonder if that has something to do with it, and he made a marriage alliance with Ahab. It was common in the ancient world to establish political alliances through marriage. I mean, it's a little harder to go to war against another country if your son is married to the other king's daughter or vice versa. In other words, if you've got a family connection, it's just a little bit harder to to do the war thing. And so it was commonly done in ancient world. And we know that it's got Solomon into all kinds of trouble. And Jehoshaphat evidently also longs to see all of Israel reunited, and goes about it in a way, though, that proves tragic for multiple generations. We read in 2 Chronicles 21, 4 through 6, when Jehoram, that was Jehoshaphat's son, had ascended the throne of his father and was established, he killed all his brothers with the sword and also some of the princes of Israel. Jehoram was 32 years old when he became king, and he reigned eight years in Jerusalem. And he walked in the ways of the kings of Israel, that's in the northern tribes, as the house of Ahab had done, why? For the daughter of Ahab was his wife. And he did what was evil in the sight of the Lord. One of the best ways you can neutralize whatever good you might do for the Lord is to marry someone who doesn't know the Lord or to marry your son or daughter to somebody who doesn't serve the Lord. It's one of the best ways to actually destroy people and destroy the work of God. In 2 Chronicles 22, 1 through 3, this this goes beyond just Jehoram his son. The inhabitants of Jerusalem made Ahaziah his youngest son. So, Jehoram dies. Uh, Jehoram's youngest son, Ahaziah, was put king in his place, for a band of men that came with the Arabians to the camp had killed all the older sons. So Ahaziah, the son of Jehoram, king of Judah, reigned. Ahaziah was 22 years old when he began to reign, and he reigned one year in Jerusalem. His mother's name was Athaliah, the granddaughter of Omri, the daughter of Ahab. He also walked in the ways of the house of Ahab, for his mother was his counselor in doing wickedly. And when Ahaziah died, guess who came to the throne? Athaliah, the wicked queen mother. And, and she's probably the worst of all. So for three successive generations of kings, of rulers, you have this wickedness that's ruling. Why? Because Jehoshaphat married a son into an evil family. There might be a lot of reasons that you might marry your son or your daughter uh, into a family. Maybe they're wealthy. Maybe they're influential. Um, but, but to do it knowingly, people that hate the Lord is really disastrous. And then we see that he compromised in the military realm as well. Um, in 2 Chronicles eighteen two and 3, after some years, he went down to Ahab in Samaria. And Ahab killed an abundance of sheep and oxen for him and for the people who were with him and induced him to go up against Ramoth-Gilead. Ahab, king of Israel, said to Jehoshaphat, king of Judah, will you go with me to Ramoth-Gilead? He answered him, I am as you are. My people are as your people. We will be with you in the war. And here's where it seems like his desire to see the the reunification of the country was was getting in the way. And as you read through it, it's almost comical the way you know, Ahab has all these prophets that say, yeah, go ahead and do this. And, and Jehoshaphat says, isn't there a real prophet from the Lord? And, and Ahab says, well, I don't like him, Micaiah, because he always prophesies bad about me. And so I don't want to call him. And so Micaiah comes up and he says, oh, go ahead, go do it. And, and Ahab says, wait a minute, I've told you, always tell me the truth, what the Lord's actually said. He says, if you go up, you're going to die. He says, see, I told you. And he throws Micaiah in prison. Okay. And Jehoshaphat still does it. He still goes to war. And in fact, in the battle, at first they think Jehoshaphat is Ahab, and they start going after him, and he cries out, and they realize it's not him, and someone draws a bow at a venture, and the arrow finds the chink in the armor in Ahab, and Ahab dies according to the prophecy of God. Well, you say, well, you know, sometimes people are stupid, and, you know, it doesn't necessarily mean it was a bad thing. Well, actually, we have the word of the Lord on it. In 2 Chronicles 19, Jehoshaphat, the king of Judah, returned in safety to his house in Jerusalem. Ahab was dead, but Jehoshaphat was safe. But Jehu, the son of Hanani, the seer, went out to meet him and said to King Jehoshaphat, "'Should you help the wicked and love those who hate the Lord?' Because of this, wrath has gone out against you from the Lord. Nevertheless, some good is found in you, for you destroyed the Asheroth out of the land and have set your heart to seek God. And what I love about this is sometimes when good men do wrong things, it's easy for us just to completely trash them and say, okay, we're done with you. In other words, we live in a world where there's only white hats and, and black hats, only good guys and bad guys, and they can't ever mix. The reality is that because we're all sinners by birth and by choice, all of us do things from time to time that are wrong, that need to be confronted, but it doesn't mean that you totally discard the person. We see the example of God in, in just his honesty about Jehoshaphat. Well, there's one more time. It's like Jehoshaphat never got over this problem this blind spot because later after this second chronicles 20 verse 35 Jehoshaphat king of Judah joined with Ahaziah king of Israel who acted wickedly so this is a generation yet further he joined him in building ships to go to tarshish and they built the ships in ezion then Eleazar the son of I I don't ever remember even reading this name before, but it's quite a name if you're looking for a name for a kid on the way. <laughs> Dodavahu of Merashah prophesied against Jehoshaphat, saying, Because you have joined with Ahaziah, the Lord will destroy what you have made, and the ships are wrecked, and we're not able to go to Tarshish. If you look at every one of these, uh, all of these compromises ended up in harm being done. All, all of them really ended up in disaster in various ways. And, you know, a lot of times, you know, we can be baited into doing things we know are wrong, making alliances, friendships we know are wrong, um, that, that, that we think somehow are going to come out well. And we're forgetting who rules the universe. Um, marriage, military, commercial, these are common alliances that can corrupt a person or a family or a nation. We know in the New Testament, Paul makes this application. Do not be unequally yoked. A yoke would put two oxen together so they could work together. Do not be unequally yoked with unbelievers. What partnership has righteousness with lawlessness? What fellowship has light with darkness? What accord has Christ with Belial? And what portion does a believer share with an unbeliever? What agreement has the temple of God with idols? For we are the temple of the living God. and what you see in the New Testament in application, you know, say, okay, we're supposed to take the gospel to all people. And First Corinthians 5 talks about um, that, that we break company with a believer who is engaged in sexual immorality, but it doesn't mean that we break company with all people that are that way because else we'd have to go out of the world. This is common. So the, the point is not that we cut ourselves off from everybody, but we don't yoke ourselves together in a way where we're giving uh, credence, where we're giving advancement to idolatry and to what is actually doing destruction to people and what is actually dishonoring God. And so, here would be the one question of this, what friendships, connections, or practices have a harmful effect on your walk with God or draw you into a corrupt lifestyle? And I should add, um, you need to ask this question for your children as well, and for your grandchildren. Like, and this might be different for different people, and it, it gets a little bit hard to apply in a different kind of setting when the, when there's not so obvious that a person's worshiping Baal or Astaroth or Molech or one of these gods. But but you need to watch the the influence that your connections are having. Be, be honest with with how it's affecting you. Because a lot of times what happens is, you know, as you spend time with people, they mark you. They change you. Make sure you're spending time with people that actually draw you toward the Lord and not away from Him. It's not that you don't try to reach people with the gospel, but but it is that you're not going to spend time in a way that that you start taking on their practices And you start drawing away from the lord so this is really a guard your heart kind of thing and and it's tough to be honest because your heart is deceitful but look out for those things that would pull you away from the lord so finally we see though this complete reliance on the lord in crisis in second chronicles 20. we see first it's characterized by prayer to god we read about it in 2 Chronicles twenty one to twelve. After this, the Moabites, the Ammonites, and with them some of the Me- Meunites came against Jehoshaphat for battle. Um, some men came and told Jehoshaphat, "A great multitude is coming against you from Edom, from beyond the sea, and behold, they are at Hazazon Tamar, that is in Gedi." Then Jehoshaphat was afraid and set his face to seek the Lord and proclaimed a fast throughout all Judah. And Judah assembled to seek help from the Lord. From all the cities of Judah, they came to seek the Lord. And I want to stop for just a moment here. When you encounter something that strikes fear in your heart, what do you do? Where do you go? And and really, your, your immediate response, rather than wallowing in your fear, really needs to be to take it to the Lord. If it's too big for you, take it to the Lord. It might not be a big thing. You know, I found this interesting. My family laughs at me. It's, it's, it seems like the big things, it's like, okay, I know I'm supposed to turn that over to the Lord. The small things that irritate me, those are the ones that, that keep me awake at night. Those are the ones that make me agitated. All right, look, if it's enough to agitate you, take it to the Lord. You say, oh, well, it's too small. Then either shut up about it or take it to the Lord. You know, it dis, if it's too small a thing, then count it as a small thing. But if it's bothering you, if it's something that's agitating you, you're not sure what to do, take it to the Lord. Prayer to God is part of this complete reliance. Look, why wouldn't you, why wouldn't you pray to God about it? I mean, do you think like, it's not like you're informing God about it. He already knows, Right. He also knows that you're upset about it, so why don't you talk to him about it? And that's exactly what Jehoshaphat did in this. And this, was, this, is, this is the kind of thing that strikes the kind of paralyzing fear, the kind of like you're at wit's end. Um, we're told the prayer, prayer is beautiful if you have it, have it there. O oh Lord, God of our fathers. Are you not God in heaven? You rule over all the kingdoms of the nation. In your hands are power and might so that none is able to withstand you. Did you not our God drive out the inhabitants of this land before your people Israel and give it forever to the descendants of Abraham your friend? So he's tapping into history. And they have lived in it and have built for you a sanctuary for your name saying, if disaster comes upon us, the sword, judgment, pestilence, famine, we will stand before this house and before you for your name is in this house and cry out to you in our affliction, And you will hear and save. And now behold. You know, one of the best things that you can do when you pray is say, God, look at what's happening. He sees it, but you're like like taking it and going, here, God, look at this. This is a mess I can't fix. This is a mess only that you can fix. And now behold the men of Ammon and Moab and Mount Seir, there would be Edomites, whom you would not let Israel invade when they came from the land of Egypt and whom they avoided and did not destroy. Behold, they reward us by coming to drive us out of their possession, which you have given to us, us to inherit, out of your possession, which you've given us to inherit. O oh, our God, will you not execute judgment on them? For we are powerless against this great horde that is coming against us. We do not know what to do, but our eyes on our new. I mean, you could just like write that out and just have that handy. We do not know what to, and you know, what's an interesting thing, it seems like the older we get, you say, oh, well, the older you get, the more experienced you are, the more wisdom you have, the more you know what to do. No, look, the older you get, the more stuff you hit that you have no idea how to handle, right? Am I telling the truth? Those of you that, yeah, I mean, it's like, I don't know how many times it's like, I've never had to deal with this before. Like, you know, I thought I had it down in my twenties. I was like, I had it down. And then the thirties came and the forties and then the fifties were worse. So far so good in sixties, but, but I'm, you know, I'm not holding my breath. Now we, God has a way of, of, of bringing you up against things that are way bigger than you are just over and over again. And, and, you know, think about, think about how life goes. I mean, as you get older, um, okay, so we all know what happens. You get older and you once were young and now you're old and the things you used to be able to handle, you can't, you can't do as well. In fact, you're doing them worse and worse and worse. And, and you're going like, wow, this is not the way I wanted life to be. Well, look, the more limited you are, the more important it is for you to turn things over to the Lord. You know, it's really what, what the Lord teaches us when he has us hit things we don't know how to handle. So you see the prayer to God, and then you see the promise of God. God gives him an answer to this prayer from the prophet in verse 15. Listen, all Judah and the inhabitants of Jerusalem and King Jehoshaphat, thus says the Lord to you, do not be afraid and do not be dismayed at this great horde, for the battle is not yours, but God's. Tomorrow go down against them. Behold, they will come up by the ascent of Ziz. You will find them at the end of the valley, east of the wilderness of Jeruel. You will not need to fight in this battle. Stand firm, hold your position, and see the salvation of the Lord on your behalf, O Judah and Jerusalem. And I would just say, I don't know how many times I'm, I'm trying to work through how in the w- world am I going to deal with this problem, and it just goes away. And I'm going like, was that it? Like, I, I thought this was going to be the end of the world, and and. God, you just changed the equation. Well, God says, do not be afraid. Do not be dismayed. Tomorrow go out against them, and the Lord will be with you. And so we see prayer to God. We see the promise of God. And then you see worship of God. In 2 Chronicles 20, verse 20, they rose early in the morning. They went out in the wilderness of Tekoa. When they went out, Jehoshaphat stood and said, Hear me, Judah and the inhabitants of Jerusalem. This doesn't seem like a good war strategy, does it? Like, okay, we're going to war, so let's have a praise service. That doesn't seem to make sense. But that's what they do. Hear me, Judah, and the inhabitants of Jerusalem, believe in the Lord your God and you will be established. Believe his prophets and you will succeed. And when he had taken counsel with the people, he appointed those who were to sing to the Lord and praise him in holy attire. And they went before the army and said, Give thanks to the Lord for his steadfast love endures forever. Don't ever forget that God's love never quits. And when they began to sing in praise, the Lord set an ambush against the men of Ammon, Moab, and Mount Seir, who had come against Judah, so that they were routed. Well, what happened? For the men of Ammon and Moab rose against the inhabitants of Mount Seir and devoted them to destruction. And when they made an end of the inhabitants of Seir, they all helped destroy one another. They all started fighting each other. So all Jehoshaphat and the people of Judah had to do is watch. And the army that had come against them destroyed themselves. The worship of God, because God, it was completely the Lord's doing. And, and you know this is not the kind of thing that happens every day of your life, but there are occasions, particularly those occasions, where there is no way you can handle it, where God just steps in and does it. It's not hard for him. There's nothing hard for Him. And so what's the result of all this? We see the fear of God. The fear of God came on all the kingdoms of the countries when they heard that the Lord had fought against the enemies of Israel. So the realm of Jehoshaphat was quiet for his God gave him rest all around. So three questions that come from this particular chapter. What should you be praying to God about? Start with the things that you're afraid of. Start with the things that you... We really don't know what to do. Start with the things that are causing you agitation. What should you, those are the things that you should be praying about. And then, when do you worship God? I mean, this seems like an inconvenient time to worship God. But, but the time to worship God is when you need to have full confidence in how powerful and how great he is and, and what his steadfast love is like. The time to worship God is on the battlefield. Isn't there that song we sing, you know, stand, kneeling on this battlefield? Uh, I, I can't remember. It just suddenly came to mind. Uh, but, but thinking about how much God has done, and on the battlefield is a place to kneel before the Lord and, and worship him. How does your life, third, encourage the fear of God? In other words, how does your life show that God is at work? Can, can people see the work of God through you and in you? Because really, we're on the planet not just for ourselves. We're on the planet so that that others through us can see God. We can glorify God through our lives. How how are people seeing anew what God is doing? And by the way, I want to say to the kids, and I think your parents will attest to this and your grandparents, a lot of times God uses children to waken the hearts of grown-ups. A lot of times God uses the wisdom of God through a child, a child who's devoted to God, to actually bring an adult to repentance and to faith. So don't underestimate the effect that you can have as a kid on your own. Look, if your parents love the Lord, you know what makes them happiest is when they see that you do too. When when they when they see you yielding to the Lord, um, you can bring great blessing to your family, and to other people. Even as a child, and, and we've seen people, you know, David as a child, Samuel as a child. We're going to see others as children that they're serving the Lord. Look, you be one of those people. Be one of those people um, that turns people's hearts toward the Lord. And as we get older, you know, you, if you're still here, you still have opportunity. No matter how old you are, you still have opportunity to show people God at work in your life and to cause them to fear the Lord and to, to worship him because of what he's doing. We learn a lot from Jehoshaphat. Ultimately, it's Jehoshaphat's God that made the difference. It, it, it drove how he lived life and you're gonna have flaws in your life like he did, hopefully when you're confronted about them, you'll respond with repentance and uh, humility uh, rather than getting angry, and you just keep serving the Lord. Well, let's pray. God, we pray that you would grant to us courage and that you would help us avoid compromise as we seek to serve you. As we enter into times of crisis, Lord, may our hearts be toward you. May we pray. May we worship. May we see you intervene on our behalf and for your glory. For it's in Christ's name we pray.